Welcome to Monsters of Talk. I'm Margaret Cho. I'm here with my co-host. I'm Jim Short. We have a guest today. Jim is our, our very, very, very good friend and uh, ex-roommate, right? My ex-roommate, yes. I've, mm-hmm. I've also, I, I've also like, stayed in the same house with you before when I was with Jim years and years ago. Um, yeah. Jim Earl. So I've taken a shower in your shower, so I think... That counts. That counts. So we sort of almost <laughs> live together. And then, um, so we are here with Kevin Karaoka. Hi. Hello. Thank you for joining us today on Monsters of Talk. Ah, uh, thank you. But in that shower, you know, I would, I would take a shower and then I would, I would go, what's, what's this? And there was all this hair on the wall. <laughs> there was like different <laughs> hairs. And they look like my hair. So I, I assume that they, I might have done it, that I might have had a hair on the wall. But um, I asked Jim about it, um, Jim Earl about it, and he said, no, that's Kevin, the Kevin Kataoka Hair Museum. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very long hairs, very much like mine, black hairs, and they were all um, on the wall. And, and um, I remember asking you about, do you remember the Hair Museum? I sort of remember that, yeah. But, but, no, that, was I the one that was doing that? Um, I think it wasn't you or I think it was just an effect of having um, a shower where uh, a lot of people used it and then we could comment about it. And, and that was never cleaned, apparently. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, because uh, you guys were very clean guys already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was surprising that there would be like a hair museum. I shed a lot. I do, too. So I think that's probably... I mean, that's the only thing I can think of is that it just it was just a natural collection. <laughs> but it was all on the wall. So it was all kind of kind of like it was all like in these different shapes and it was dried onto the wall. He got a grant from the NEA just to You don't want to look at the way head. I cry in the shower. <laughs> just laying my head against the wall. It's really great. But I, it could have been my hair, too, because so, it was with the same hair. So, um, but the your hair was longer. Kevin's hair was longer at the time. Well, at the time, right? your hair was shorter, right? Yes, it was much yeah. shorter. Yeah. So, so maybe it was so. hard to identify. Yeah, I think we yeah. looked very similar at that time. Yeah, I mean, I think that that uh, yeah, we were we were probably I guess in our early twenties or late uh, teens, mm-hmm. and then um, you know we looked really similar. I, I told you, Frank Kidder's wife. Yeah, we came <laughs> came up to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, you told you told me, of yeah. course, because you you. <laughs> Because Frank Kidder's wife went up to him and said, are you Margaret Cho? <laughs> Which is actually not that, um, not that outrageous, thinking about, you know, that we, we sort of looked similar then. Oh, that was like, the, yeah, but that was really bad, though. That's, that's really bad. I mean, it's one thing if you get mistaken for somebody, yeah. but it's just, it's, yeah. that's really weird. And I had to say, no, I'm Linda Hunt. Portraying. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Kevin is is very important important to not only because he's Linda Hunt, but because he was the first Asian American comedian that I ever met, and um, and that was a really big deal. I knew that Henry Cho existed, mm-hmm. but I had not met him yet. And then I met you, and I was so excited. Yeah, there, there's, people forget that there was a time when it really was there was no other, and it was funny because we no. started at like the Holy City Zoo, and it's like a total Asian neighborhood, right? And then you would walk into this little club to do stand up, and then suddenly there was no Asians in inside. none, yeah. none at all. I mean, um, did you meet any Asian comedians other than myself and Kevin there in San Francisco when when we were starting? Um, well, I, I, I came a lot after, later than you guys, mm-hmm. so there were some, um, I'm, 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 I mean, I'm yeah, just the fact that it's trying it's to remember now. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there, there have been more in the, in the recent years. Yes, of yeah. course. But back great, great. then, um, Mike Modo. Mike Modo. Oh, 
gosh, I totally forgot about yeah. Mike Moto. He was really funny. I'd worked with him on the road. Uh, we did a long, like some triple gigs or something like that. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, it was pretty fun. Uh, he was a nice guy. I really Does he him. still do comedy? I don't know what he's up to nowadays. Um, I, you know, I remember I saw his name still out there. Yeah. He's a total, you know, the road guy. Like and, a road guy. Yeah, constantly working. But I, I don't know if he's if he's still at it or not. Well, like um, Kevin was out there, and then there was um, that there was one guy who died. Do you remember the guy who died? Yeah, actually, he was really great. Ken Samori. Ken Samori was really funny. He's yeah. um, he was uh, he was a little bit you know a little bit before you. Yeah. And um, he was really uh, he, by the time I met him, he was very very sort of just kind of schizophrenic and. Yeah, he had. There was a lot of story backstories about him, and I don't know how much of it was true. But yeah, he had a lot of difficulties with um, with mental health. Yes. And, but uh, but he was when when he was when I first met him, and he was sharp and funny, and mm-hmm. and he would just do do the most ridiculous impressions, mm-hmm. like David Jansen, <laughs> you know, doing something like really? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just really funny and. He'd reenact these little. He had like, there was a slight prior Richard Pryor kind of vibe about him, and yeah. he would tell yeah. stories about his family arguing, and and they were just so funny, you know, like yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, like, he was the guy, like the only Asian guy. When I first started, he was the only Asian guy that I saw, mm-hmm. and uh, he was doing really well when I first started. Like he, was, I think he had just done the comedy competition and placed or something like that, and mm-hmm. you know, um, so yeah. But then over the years, his, his mental health slipped. It was kind of sad. Yeah. When did he sort of stop performing? Because I I knew I met him just hanging about. He mm-hmm. would come to watch the shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and you'd go, oh, who is that bloke in the back? And everybody would say, oh, he was you know he was a great comic and he did all this you know cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Probably somewhere in the. I want to say around nineteen. 19- Early nineties, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he just was very. Um, he was he was really mysterious because I remember like all these guys really worshipped him, mm-hmm. but then he never would go up or anything. And so, so it was a very mysterious kind of like, who is that person? Um, but Lankner always sort of had those like those weird people uh, kind of around like uh, Raleigh Moe, mm-hmm. who was not Asian, but uh, very strange. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's Raleigh's still at it sometimes. He like, does comedy. I've seen him in on England YouTube. England or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> it's really amazing. I um I did know uh that before I ever visited San Francisco as a comic, uh I knew an Asian comic in Texas. Mhm. Chinaman. <gasps> Chinaman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was the superhero. <laughs> Chinaman. He would break really easily. <laughs> He would just really <laughs> He's a bull in a Chinaman yeah. shop. He just loved Wilson Phillips. <laughs> um, what is Chinaman? Who was Chinaman? Chinaman is, uh, his name is uh, Mark Britton, but he goes by Chinaman. You're right. I know Mark Britton. Yes, I totally yes, know yes, Mark Britton. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry. I used his other name. I should have no. said Clark Kent. <laughs> Chinaman China Man was also half um, half Asian. He was half he's Korean, something. I he's believe. So, I don't think he's even Chinese, but he's Chinaman. <laughs> he's Chinaman. And um, he, uh, yeah. Because he's, that just fits for the audience he plays. I'm just Chinese. China, I'm Chinaman. He's he's mixed, a mixed race. And then uh, he's, he's he was very, um, yes, I remember him. I, he was very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he was a little bit embarrassed that he was Chinaman. Like, and, uh, uh, encountering me. Right. Yeah. That he was a little bit, oh, I'm sorry, I'm Chinaman. <laughs> it's and like, I, it's I, almost like he was wearing blackface. Yes. Yeah. 
which I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel poorly about it. I didn't feel anything about it really. But it was, but it was his own thing, right? Like, yes, uh, he was. He was. Yeah. He was. He was um, utilizing his 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 Asianness to uh, put forth something. I mean, that that makes sense because there's, you know, in comedy, there's so many Asian stereotypes and and so much of that, you know. And I think um, that that kind of casual racism, so that there, there's so much of that exists that mm-hmm. I think somebody like Chinaman would find a very healthy, thriving career. In Texas, and you know anywhere, you right? Know. Well, Pat Morita was the hip nip. All right, <laughs> <laughs> when he was in his old stand-up days. Yes, the hip nip. The hip nip, Pat Morita. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I loved also Johnny Yoon too. He was oh, the best. Yeah. He was best. He's a Korean guy, and um, I met him uh, not so long ago. And oddly enough, he did not speak English very well. And yeah, <laughs> I was right. like, what? Where did it go? Like, where did it? You you really were good at it for a while, and you made movies and stuff, and then it's gone. Like, yeah, he was on Johnny Carson a bunch, and then it was gone. What was his movie? The, they they called me, call me Bruce. Bruce. It was a very. I I went to see it and then with my family mm-hmm. in the, the premiere at the Coronet Theater in San Francisco. And wow, it was a very very special day. It was I think Christmas. I think he in was 70s. in a a, can, a Cannonball Run or one of those yeah, kind of yeah. movies. I think. I just remember he would walk on the Tonight Show. He'd come out and just go, "Hello." <laughs> <laughs> Like this first line. He was on a Love Boat episode. My buddy and I, we had a bunch of, uh, he worked at a TV station and he had all these Love Boat episodes and we would watch them. And he was in one, he played a a nightclub comic from Korea. Yeah. Who was on the ship for some reason looking for love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember his joke was, um, uh, we tried to trace my family's roots, but my ancestors ate them. That's very true. That's very Korean. That's very. Did your relatives go and um, into Golden Gate Park and like uh, loot um, loot the uh, edible roots and and leaves? <laughs> what? Your relatives My would relatives that? would go into forage Golden Gate Park. They would forage. They would actually like go into like the um, the you know these big sort of like botanical gardens. Yeah. And they would steal flowers and bulbs, and we would eat them. Wow. We would straight up steal stuff from like botanical gardens in San Francisco <laughs> all the time. So it's like the world, your world largest spice garden yeah. is right over there. <laughs> no, my, my family were constantly stealing um, any kind of vegetation, you know, any kind of stuff. They, they would always like grow crazy stuff in the backyard too. That's like we always have like a giant pumpkin or something or like a big squash or big melons. There was always some, some, some sort of like weird greenery thing happening. <laughs> but that's, 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 you know, that's across the board understandable but going into the park yeah to nick the flowers <laughs> stealing. It's totally stealing it's stealing but no one's ste- gonna want these swings right <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they make an excellent they, you know just throw them in a crock pot let them simmer for a while they add a lot of flavor to you. I mean, yeah. I all the things that steal in golden gate park i mean, like I'd plants. go beyond. I'd go beyond the plants. Yeah, some of the other cool stuff. Yeah, they would no, They would just go in and steal plants. It, it got worse when my grandparents came. When my grandparents came to America, like everything that my parents were trying to do sort of went out the window. Like, and then they were, you know, my grandparents would just go and like steal stuff from the park. And then I was, you know, like I, I remember the worst trip I ever got in was when I left a Time magazine on the ground and my grandmother slipped on it, <laughs> and it was like a skate, like a roller skate, and mm-hmm. fell and broke her hip, and it was like this horrible thing. And then so my family didn't forgive me for like five years. 
And like every time I like had like some sort of reading material in my hand, they would just stare at my hand like, where are you going to put that? Where are you going to put that? Where's it going? Who are you after today? Yeah. Who's going to go down today? <laughs> I'm sorry that I laughed at it, but just the image, because it's like the banana peel. Yes. <laughs> but you left a Time magazine. A Time magazine out, slipped on it, and then I've just never been forgiven. I think she was mad at me until she died. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> that's that's really hard, but the, it you, but that it, that's it. it. You just had to. She was never going to let it go, right? Never going to let it go. Well, that's the other thing about I think Asian families is nothing is ever let forgotten. Go another f- forgotten, never yeah. forgotten, or um, or there are secrets that are never disclosed. That's the other side of it. There's things that people never say. Yeah. So there's a lot of things about my family. I have no idea. Oh yeah. You know, I really don't know. Um, but uh, do do you find that to be true? Yeah, I think they're they're. Fa- I think yeah, within my family, I know there's things that that are mentioned and then never mentioned after that. You're kind of like, oh, why did they just get, <laughs> they give that one quick yeah, like, yeah. cryptic airing and like oh, nothing, nothing? Yeah, like so they can. So I think that way the the family members can think to themselves. I said it. No, no. It wasn't like I kept it a secret. But yeah, you said it 10 years ago, then you've never brought it up again or whatever. Some weird... You, you killed know. who? What was that? I didn't know. I didn't know. Did you know we don't have to talk about this again. But murder is not even that, that considered that bad. You know what's bad in my family is bad grades. Murder is not that bad because there was a kid, a Korean kid that killed somebody in my school. He stabbed another kid at um at Seven Eleven, mm-hmm. and then he had to go to prison. And then my father was like, "Well, he had very good grades, <laughs> but you know, that, but he killed somebody. Yeah, but he was he, was, he, was, he studied. <laughs> so I'm like, well, that's not you know." <laughs> yeah, you, you should at least by having not murdered somebody get a little bit of a bit of credit. Yeah, a little a, bit of extra credit. credit. But no, no, he studied. He, he was studied. more studious than you were. Exactly. I was such a bad student that that was like kind of like the worst thing that I could commit against my family. Which is really great that I actually became a comedian because I was able to escape everything. And now my parents have bragging rights over all of their friends because mm-hmm. you know being on television and doing what I do now is really better than a, a you know, Harvard degree or, or all those things that these, these sort of status-driven Koreans all really value. So Yeah, you know, I, I, I just had this correspondence with a, a younger Asian comic and he was asking me some questions. And it's funny, like, the Asian parents thing, it's still prevalent in keeping down you know, young Asian comedians that mm-hmm. want to get started or, you know, want to mm-hmm. get into entertainment. And it's funny, like, you know, you, people always talk about all the barriers like you know, Asian comics or performers have to deal with, you know, in Hollywood. And really, the number one enemy is their own family. Oh, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's it really, totally like, true. no one ever brings that up, really. But that is, literally is one of the hardest barriers to break is yeah. to, like, go against your parents' wishes and, like... Or try to even just trying to explain to them why you got to do you know free sets and an open mic every week for five mm-hmm. years, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's hard for them to get to get over that. Was your family upset when you decided to start doing comedy? They didn't know for the first few years. I didn't tell oh, them. Yeah. I just kind of because I would actually leave after work. I was washing dishes at a Sizzler, and then I'd, I'd drive mm-hmm. out to San Francisco, and I had I had sets booked <laughs> at the other cafe. The big, best beginning to a story ever. I was washing dishes <laughs> at a Sizzler. Yeah. I was that working as a waitress <laughs> in a coffee <laughs> Don't don't you want me? <laughs> so you would you would you weren't sneaking out, but you were going to go do this, and you didn't tell anyone. 
no, I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want to have to explain it. I remember it was hard to explain when I had an internship at a radio station because I was studying radio and just trying to explain to my dad why I had to drive out like in the middle of the night. I was working some late shift at the Quake or something like that. Uh-huh. I can't remember. I did that for a few weeks and I stopped. But I mean, I remember like he, he just couldn't wrap his head around it. Like, why are you going out there? You're working for free in the middle yeah. of the night. Like, it just internships just seemed weird to him, you know? Yeah. So I just kind of thought to myself, well, how do I explain comedy? You know, right. so I just like it. Just you know, I just didn't bother with it. I just figured if they find out, I'll explain it then. I'll come to that bridge and I'll just you know whatever. I'll tell my family then, but I'll, I'll just do it on my own. Eventually, he figured it out because my aunt had seen me at a show mm-hmm. at a benefit, and she told him <laughs> he didn't really care. You know, like I think in my mind, I probably built it up to be more of a problem than it was. You know, that you did well. Probably so much had happened that you didn't think he would actually be receptive or at least cool to it. Yeah. Well, so you you probably yeah you probably overcompensated and hit it more. Probably, and I think there was also that thought that, well, if he sees me a couple of years from now, I'll be at least decent. <clears throat> yeah. Uh-huh. So then if yeah. he sees me on stage, he won't see me just like trying to figure it all out. You know, he'll at least see me do a five minute set that's kind of decent and yeah. like, oh, okay, and maybe get some laughs. And so that was sort of my other theory is like, I'll wait, wait, if he's going to see me, let him see me when I'm a little more that's seasoned. The, the comedy equivalent of having good grades. Exactly. You have yeah. a really good set. Really <laughs> yeah. good sets. But yeah, they very, um, I think. They they very like really much their parents like the parents in Asian cultures often really are so their reach is so far into their kids' lives that their kids really don't feel like they can do what they want to with their lives mm-hmm. and that's really tough because um, I think it goes both ways you know the the parents have a lot of like sacrifice a lot you know they often leave their country you know my parents came to America because they wanted something you know that they, they wanted something well they wanted something illegally first because they came to America illegally first so <laughs> they wanted to do do something bad in the beginning but they were very I mean they were very uh, emphatic about how much they sacrificed because they had to leave their country so that I could do um, what I do here or that I could have a better education or better better prospects whatever um, so there is a great um, guilt that operates I think in a lot of Asian American kids when they're going about choosing their career or honoring their own dreams, they often don't. Mm-hmm. And that's very tough. And I look at somebody like Ken Jong, and I'm like, that's amazing that he actually went and became a doctor and was practicing. And 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 actually yeah. <laughs> had like patients right? in his yeah. office. But the whole time, like he just wanted to do comedy. And I, I knew him really a long time ago. I knew him in school when he was studying to become a doctor. He brought me to his school and he just wanted to do comedy so badly. And I, I was always wondering like, well, why are you going to be a doctor then that's really that's a lot that's a lot of work to do then when you just want to do comedy and of course now he's great success as a comedian but um you know i think people look to him as a kind of an example like oh uh asian parents can say well you can still you can still do comedy but be a doctor first that doesn't make right. sense yeah yeah i know <laughs> yeah no he took like the bo jackson route like i'm gonna do both yes <laughs> it was crazy because i yeah because i we you know i remember working with him and doing things and yeah you just see him like Doing comedy, but he still had his pager. Yeah, like at any time, like in the middle of the of the show, he could possibly like have to run off yes. because somebody's having a baby or something. It yeah, was, yeah, he was hustling. Yeah, I think I don't even know if, how many people realize that he was a, like a doctor. I don't think people really know. I think maybe Asian people know because they just want to keep their kids from doing comedy. But yeah, I think, right. <laughs> I think that like people don't really even understand, and and also, also I don't know parents, Asian parents, really understand how hard comedy is. 
that yeah. it is harder than any kind of getting into university or any get you know it's way harder mm -hmm. than um, all those struggles that Asian parents often cite as being difficult. I think being in comedy is probably one of the most difficult careers you can you can start to do or try to do. Oh yeah, people don't understand the whole mental. Uh, you know, the, an emotional toil it takes to, mm -hmm. to get to where you are as a stand-up because, you know, it's it's not it's you know it's not like cracking open a book and just like reading and reading and, and learning. It, no. it's a lot of other stuff that you got to go through. It's it's definitely you know trial by fire. Yeah, it's like it's 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 emotional. It's it's mental. You have to deal with a certain amount of hazing. Yeah, <laughs> from other comics, right? You know, you have a you have a whole lifetime of of pain and suffering. You know, just every once in a while, there's wonderful bursts of success and joy, but they really are really marked by hard work and hard time. It's very tough. So I think there should be more Asians in comedy. I don't know why there's still there's a few still. Now, there's more definitely. There's, there's definitely, definitely a more. lot more. Well, let me ask you this: Do you remember going to rock shows when you were younger? Yes. Because I know you like rock and roll. I love rock and roll, yes. I know. And, but do you remember going to shows and you'd be the only Asian in the crowd? Always. Yeah, Always. I remember that. And that, that doesn't, that's not the case anymore. But I, I do remember going to shows. I used to work at a college radio station. Mm -hmm. These shows, I'm like, really? I'm the only Asian yeah. guy here like, yeah. that likes this kind of music? It yeah. was so weird to me that, that that was the case. Yeah, the only time that I would, that wasn't the case was when I went to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And then I went to a, uh, a Sonic Youth and Mud Honey show. With all Asian kids, oh, wow. it was very exciting, and there was a pit formed right away. And um, you know, the guy that I was with, he was like, "Oh, you know, they, these these kids here, they they're so excited when anybody ha is here. They they had they had a pit when Los Lobos came." <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, but to be to be honest, they were cooking a pig as well. <laughs> but yeah, I was always the only Asian kid at. It, a million shows. I can't even count how many shows that I was the only Asian person. I mean, the only like the only Asian person at Billy Bragg at the the Stone on Broadway in 1988 or something like you know that's like very and probably also the only American probably because it's yeah it, it, you go to one of those shows that it's all English. They English people just come out of wherever they are. Yes. Yeah. To yes. go see Billy Bragg. They do. Jasper they do. Carrot. Yeah, <laughs> any English person, all the English people just pop out, all right, and and then and then they're all round, they're, they're all round the the corner at the pub mm -hmm. till showtime. I always want to see certain shows like that just to see what the crowds are like, whether for musicians or you know like, like you know Johnny Holiday. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. French, he's like this French rock and roller, and like mm -hmm. I just when I was in New York, I saw like a big thing on I think Madison Square Garden. He was playing. I'm like, God, what is that crowd gonna be like? Very Johnny. lots of people outside smoking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just Madison Square Garden is packed with the French. Yeah, that would be cool. You know, like French rockers and older, like pre, you know, sort of older people's Johnny Holiday was sort of like sixties, right? Sixties, mm seventies, -hmm. early seventies. Yeah. So um, that was his heyday. So lots of um, older French women, probably. Yeah, that would be cool. They were all like totally all smoking hot. In, yeah. in the sixties, you know. And... Yeah, like Brigitte Bardot, and then you know now, like, but mm -hmm. th that that would be that would be exciting. I would love to go see. Uh, that, I would love to go see him. But Billy Bragg is like, the. Uh, sometimes um, when you go to the shows where there's a big English contingent, it's very, it's very drunken. And it's very, they mm -hmm. get real, they yeah. really want to hear the hits. They mm -hmm. don't have time for the new songs. Or for Billy Bragg's sake, the, the political songs were not as popular as, um, you know, a New England, of course. Right, right, right. Or right. Saturday Boy or St. Swizzin's Day, which is what I wanted to hear. The really sad songs. Right. 
you know, and um, they will hold a pint above their head and, and, and dance around and cry. And it's very, it's very, I've been to many Billy Bragg shows now and it's just, it's, oh, they've, I've just seen them all the same people get older. They're very ex- exciting. Yeah, isn't, that, isn't that weird when you when you like an artist and you go back every year or every couple of years and you see the same folks? And yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And you don't yeah. know them, but you kind of have seen them. You've yeah. seen them and you're like, oh, God, do I look like that? I always think, oh, no, do I look like them? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I've seen them before. It's like maybe they're looking at me in the same way, like, oh, no. What happened? Yeah. What's, what's great about Billy is he's really so funny, though. In between, mm-hmm. he's got a lot of good uh, stories and banter. And he's cool because I remember seeing him at the Fillmore in 2003 and then hung about afterwards and he finally comes out and he goes, oh, I didn't know everybody was waiting. This is like five people waiting. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't know people were out here. Mm-hmm. He said, I wouldn't have kept you waiting. And he's like, it'd been 10 minutes or something. And Aww. he was apologizing and he signed posters and everything. So it was, you know, really, I like I like it when they care about the fact that people come to see them. Oh, yeah. And it's like, is there anybody out there? That's the thing. Big Audio Dynamite would do that too. They would be like, is anyone out there? Yeah, you know, and The Clash and all those people. It's just, you could always yeah. get backstage at those kind of shows. Yeah. Because they were yeah. just like, you know, they, if, if it were only a small amount of people just waiting, I always, mm. I always appreciated that. That's nice. Just, there's just a bunch of blokes. They're just, just a bunch blo- of blokes just hanging blokes. back, you know. <laughs> just some blokes. Yeah. Mick Jones is finally doing Clash songs. I've, I've noticed like on YouTube, he's finally like playing shows where he'll do a couple of Clash songs. Oh, really? I know. It, it, it always bother me that he never toured over no. all these years like like why is this guy not touring with his own band, yeah you know? but he, he always put together like big audio dynamite or carbon silicon or something and mm-hmm. it's like doing some other new songs and like dude you wrote you co-wrote some of the greatest songs in rock like but i think joe strummer was such a paul like so such a big personality that he couldn't really i think he could never he sort of always wanted never to overstep joe strummer's legend and then joe strummer died but i don't so. think clash fans would mind no. if mick jones played those songs and, so. and mick jones sang a lot of those songs too yeah. like mm-hmm. i mean he could d- definitely do 20 songs from the clash catalog that he sang yeah of course but he yeah. had he had a success with big audio dynamite mm-hmm. and big audio dynamite too <clears throat> after the clash that he probably it was like oh i don't need to Mm-hmm. Right now, I don't need to go do this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, which I probably, you know, gave him the because di- he got kicked out of the band too. Right. So he probably was like needed that distance of well, I'll do my own shit for a while anyway. Yeah. And it, it take probably takes a long time to reconcile that to be able to do it. You know. Yeah, I guess so. It's just it just seemed like such a long time, and I was like, why is this guy never? Mm-hmm. That's why I don't do my old jokes anymore. It's just it's too painful. <laughs> It's too painful. It is too painful. Even like Morrissey. I mean, he didn't do any Smith songs for a long time, and now he's, yeah. he's throwing them all. Although he's having a rough day. He's in the hospital again. What happened now? Well, he was in San Francisco, and, uh, you know, he's been in and out. He's, been, he's in hospital so much, they should now call him Mospital. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the hospital in San. He uh, he canceled his his show in San Francisco uh, over the weekend. Oh no! And um, yeah, and he canceled a few weeks before that. He cancels he cancels more shows than he does. Yeah, I yeah. think it's the Queen. Mm. I think the Queen gave him some kind of whatever it is that she had. <laughs> oh, she's sick too. That's right. She's, she's, been she's sick, canceling so yeah, stuff. Yeah, but then. Um, 
he was can- he was can- he canceled a gig that I I was in the venue bef- right be- right before he was going to come and then he canceled that and that was hard because it was Asheville and I felt bad because they you know they want him so bad in right, Asheville right you know right, Morrissey right. doing a show it's like the biggest deal and so many people I'm sure were so disappointed but um yeah he canceled that because of urinary tract infection and then uh, so um, also. Uh, Vince Neil has kidney stones. Oh yeah. So there's some some, some connection. There's something. <laughs> there's some connection. We gotta get down to this. We have to figure it out. What's going on? <laughs> somebody's somebody's get hurting the aging rockers' urethras. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? It's an epidemic. But then what? Ha- what? What was he sick of? What was he sick of in San Francisco? What did he get? How did he get sick? Bleeding ulcer. Oh God! Yeah. Well, the Vince Neil headline it cracked me up. It was, it was a couple days ago. It, it said "Stones prevent Vince Neil from getting on stage," and I was like, "What? What? I mean, what's, what's this story?" And then I realized it was, they were talking about these kidney stones. Kidney. Yeah. I was like, "I was like, how are the Rolling Stones preventing Vince Neil from going on stage?" It literally said that stones prevent. Was especially as crazy as their their um their uh, biography their biography about Motley Crue is just you know at mm-hmm. some point somebody's going to end up snorting up those kidney stones. <laughs> I hope so. They better. They really better. Oh, I do not want that. Is a, that is a nightmare for me. It's kidney stones. Oh, I've had them. The worst? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the painful, yeah. The worst would be if Tommy Lee got them because they would take forever to come out. It's <laughs> <laughs> the longest journey for those stones yes. to travel all the way all down. The way down. <laughs> Giant penis. It's like Fantastic Voyage. <laughs> <laughs> it's Donald Pleasance is riding inside the, one of the kidney stones. <laughs> But kidney stones are painful. You don't want them. They're just the worst pain, right? Nobody well, wants to pee rocks. What's pee rocks? <laughs> peeing rocks. Yeah. And it's really, well, the, the treatment is also painful too, is they go and they um, they blast them. They go into your <laughs> urethra and they blast them. They get like a drug that will like draw them out and then they blast them. They put a camera, I they put a camera in my urethra and they put, you know, kind of like put it all the way up there. And so I was watching it and it is totally fantastic voyage because you're just like, wow, it's like yeah. so really, it's like weird. It's like so weird to see a camera going up in there and it hurts so bad, but it was also really just scary because you were just watching this thing happen and it was like asteroids, you know, cool, cool, right. like just firing at him and it's so <laughs> weird. Oh, man. It's so weird. Ugh. But, yeah. Ugh. I just get chills. <laughs> I remember working at a television store uh, when I was in college and uh, the owner of the store passed, him some, passed a few stones, I guess, when he was in the bathroom and he was just laying on the ground like unconscious and i'm like oh man that is and he was a big strong dude you know mm-hmm. and just to see a guy like that just being brought down by yes. something like that you realize like that's not good no it will bring you to your knees yeah just um, yeah what, what does it it's <clears throat> not drinking enough water there's not, a lot of uh, different um there's a lot of different causes for it i mean i think it just happens it's hereditary too you know it's mm-hmm. just a thing and, and ca- like something like too much calcium and mm-hmm. you know it's calcium deposits basically in your kidneys but it's very it you know it's just it's sort of it, it's once you're once you're rid of them you're rid of them it doesn't really reoccur but it's just a thing like that it really hurts Ooh. it's gross and where were you? Were you away? I, were you I was with- here. I was here. I was, um, this was when I um, was working on my TV show, All American Girl, in 1994. And um, so this was one of the medical complications that happened because I think I didn't eat for a couple of months. So that was probably one of the things that set it off. Um, but uh, certainly it was very, um, it was very terrifying. And because I remember when I was, at, when it started happening, I started peeing blood and it, Garrett Wang was, I was dating him and he was in my uh, trailer. 
trailer. I think he was in my trailer. And I was like screaming that I was peeing blood. And then I, but I didn't want him to come to the bathroom to see it because right. I was peeing. So I was like, stay there, but don't come in here. But I'm peeing blood. So I'll get back to you Ooh. in just a second. So, um, but yeah, it was very, uh, it was very tough. It was really gross and it was really painful. But I went to a, a hospital downtown. Um, I believe um, it's, I don't know if it's still there. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what, which one. It was a Saint something, Saint something, hot, um, not hotel, so, uh, hospital, but not the same one. It's not a hospital. Not a hospital. Not a hospital. <laughs> and it wasn't a, it wasn't a hotel. Don't no. go to a hotel if you have kidney stones. Don't go to a hotel if you have kidney stones. But I didn't have to cancel any shows, I don't think. So I don't think I was doing any, but it was was painful. But yeah. Vince Neil laid out with stones. Laid yeah. out. Have you ever seen the stones perform? I saw like, them in Tokyo. Oh, wow. What was that like? Uh, it was crazy because I, I, um, I was out there visiting and then I saw that they were playing. Oh. And so I made some calls for our, for our connections that we had because uh-huh. we, we, you, we, you and I, all, all of us would work at the punchline. And yeah, for sure. And uh, so we knew had connections with um, Bill Graham's people and all that stuff. So we were able to, uh, I was able to, like, get, well, I had to buy the tickets, but I was able to still get tickets even right. though it was yeah. sold out. A hard yeah. ticket to get, yeah. Yeah, I had to go, it was crazy. I had to go to like the Four Seasons hotel and meet like some person that had to deal with that like a conduit had to deal with the stones and with mm-hmm. bill graham and um you go to the, it was at the tokyo dome mm-hmm. and it's kind of like greg barron's bit about the the adult rock show yeah it was exactly like that it was mm-hmm. exactly like it started i think at 6 30 oh my god there was no opening band mm-hmm. and uh, then they just come out at 6 30 they play to like 8 30 to 9 o'clock they had one encore and they were gone. Yeah, and that was it. Yeah, and uh, and literally by nine o'clock, you, the sh- the show was over. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, um, but yeah, the security was super tight. Like you you sit in your seat and they had literally a security guard at the foot of the steps of every section. Right in this dome, like you know, if you were if you were getting up to go to the snack bar or something like that, you know, everybody, you know, everyone everyone was keeping an eye on you. It was really weird. That's interesting that they would have that much security because I, I mean, every time I've listened to like a, a live show from Japan, the audience is so well behaved and there's no like screaming mm-hmm. or yelling. It's really like very very sedate for right. rock shows. They the, the crowd actually would make a lot of noise, you know. But then when the songs were done, then then they'd get quiet again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know. I, I I was kind of surprised by it too because I I think in smaller clubs they don't do that kind of thing. You know, yeah. I think it's probably normal. You know, like any other rock shows. But mm-hmm. but yeah, like if for some reason at this event in this dome, it was it was much more policed and much a lot a lot of security. Yeah, but it was fun. I mean, it was it was really interesting to see. They would play blues music before they came on, just you know, on the inter- on the intercom and everything, and. and uh, People would applaud after the song. Like they play a Muddy Water song, and the song would end, and people would woo. And so cheer. polite. Like, it was like wow. Like you know, people were just into that kind of music. Yeah. And, you know, I don't they're know. incredibly polite. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I was it the Steel Wheels one. That's I went to that tour. The Steel Wheels one, which is a few years ago. That that um. About eighty nine. Yeah. It's like no wait no 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 the one after that no so no that's Voodoo not, Lounge. Yes. And they were still, they were so super old though. Like I was just shocked to see them so old. Mm-hmm. And then so like, and then they had like a um, two sets. They played like the concert set and then on the stage and then they walked to a small stage mm-hmm. in the middle of the floor and yeah. they did like a small set there. And then um, Charlie Watts had a little uh, jacket like over his shoulder and he looked like such an old woman, mm-hmm. like just really frail and just keeping time, like really t- <laughs> tiny old woman in the back. <laughs> and um, they just all looked so old and and Mick was jumping around and and it was so it was really amazing how how much energy they had 
except for Charlie Watts. <laughs> but he's always been that. He's always been that sort of just sits in the back. Yeah, mm-hmm. he just yeah he never would made a lot of him and Bill Wyman never made it any much well, movement. Not a big fuss. Not I'm amazed at those guys. It's just it's incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember I remember when people were making jokes about them being old, like thirty 20, years ago. Yeah, twenty thirty years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Now they're even older. Yeah. <laughs> But well, that is that is what's great about them is that nobody's done that and been that old and done what mm-hmm. they do. And stayed together. And stayed together pretty yeah. much. You know, they've only they've, only one of them's really died and a couple of them have changed and then he, out. And he died like really early. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what sort of almost doesn't count. And he, I think he was murdered. I always think Brian Jones was murdered. Do you think he was? They always talk about They that. say that, yeah, by, by his, some conspiracy. His um, handyman. His handyman? I think he's handyman. I think his handyman did it. I mm. think. Did you read the Keith Richards autobiography? I tried to, and it was really hard to read for some reason. Um, not, it, it was just so swirling. The language was so difficult. It was almost like reading Chaucer, because I think that's how old he is. <laughs> like, he was really... It it's was, very medieval a it bit, It was medieval, right? yeah. and, it, you know, it was, very, it was very difficult to understand for me. There's, there are, there's one section, because the book is gigantic. It, you couldn't travel with the book, because it was huge. Mm-hmm. It was just too... You'd need another suitcase almost to keep it in. But um, there's one part towards the end where he gives his recipe for shepherd's pie. (laughs) (laughs) And on another page, very close to it, he does battle with a gigantic tortoise. So it's, it's, yeah, it's sort of Don Quixote, Mm -hmm. Chaucer, recipes. Yeah, everything. It's just everything. Everything is in his mind. It's just madness, you know. But that's the brilliance of Keith Richards. I mean, he's just... I remember there was a documentary uh, about the Beatles on, I think it was on ABC a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was contemporary people talking about their impact upon them and whatever. And they were on the um, Maharishi phase. Mm-hmm. And so they showed them in India. And there's Mick Jagger and there's the Beach Boys and this one and that. And everybody went there. And they cut to contemporary Keith at that time, which was in the 90s. And he goes, I draw the line at swamis. <laughs> Like, you know, he thought, what a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking not going to India with some old wanker. Did you ever see Cocksucker Blues? Yeah, you know what? I, I actually put a bid down on the house that was uh, shot that shot was that, that was shot in. I, I tried to watch it. I saw, I got a copy of it. It's hard to watch. It, yeah, it's just so, I mean, you know, it's like a probably like a tenth bootleg yeah. tenth, you know right vo- version of it but uh yeah but i just kind of i wanted to get through the whole thing because i keep hearing all these things that are in it like mm-hmm. you know i'm at erdogan like passing out and yeah. <laughs> just like being drunk and just being like, i, I have not seen it's just a party what's the house there's a the ha- house it's where a house, a big it's, party it's takes actually place? yeah it's in beachwood canyon and it's um it's kind of on the uh sort of on the west side of beachwood canyon on you know kind of the, sort of sort of the right of the hollywood sign if you're going down and um it's a very um it, it's beautiful it's a really really beautiful house and one of one of the selling points is that it is um it was featured in that film can they can they put that in the mm-hmm. website on the brochure? No, in no. I think, I, think it's like, I think it's one of those things that they just tell you that's what it was. But and you go, oh, that is a house. But then <laughs> it has a koi pond. <laughs> Not very big, but it's really nice. But I think there's lots of scenes in that movie where they're just 
pretty trash. The yeah, stones are just, just like, yeah. It's just yeah. a party. Yeah. You know, and you can't really hear what's happening. It's just kind of like old. I, I, this is weird. There's weird. There's sometimes there's weird old footage things. Like I remember seeing this one thing uh, um, of the Beach Boys when they went to London and it was like in the 60s and, it, and then Brian hadn't gone. Mm-hmm. So it was everybody but Brian and backstage and it's just them kind of like making motions with their hands. There's no sound because they couldn't like license any of the music. So mm-hmm. there was no sound or their voices. They couldn't be heard. So mm-hmm. just it's silent, just fucking Mike Love and um, what Al Jardine just kind of walking around. <laughs> and like they both have hair. And it's really weird. It's really weird. Those, those old like 60s kind of rocker movies, sometimes they'll just sell stuff that just, they just have footage of them. And it's 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 archive footage. You know, it's it's priceless, but it's still like right. not really anything to watch. Yeah, yeah. We used to, we, we, we've talked about Ronaldo and Clara and those kind of things, right? You, you've seen that, right? It's a pretty un, unwatch. It's hard to watch that one. Probably, again, because the quality of it's not so good. Mm-hmm. But it's just a lot of improvised tapes, uh, takes of, of people. And, uh, but the music parts are really great. Or eat From the Rolling Thunder review of, uh, of yeah. Dylan. Is that, yeah. And Eat the Document is great because... It well, it, it it's the footage from the 1966 tour that Dylan did with the band when people were booing, and mm-hmm. it was shot by Pennebaker who did "Don't Look Back." But then they he took the footage himself. Dylan did and had it cut, and it's very just erratic uh, jump cuts. So there's no. It's so hard to watch it mm-hmm. the way it's put together, and you go, "There's mm-hmm. so much great footage here." But then if you see the Scorsese documentary, he got like the coherent moments out of it mm-hmm. where they're backstage and there's so f- many funny parts where dylan's backstage and they're talking about um somebody says oh yeah the the newspaper said yesterday that um 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 10 people walked out and then so many people and then dylan goes did you read that one story man when they said everybody walked out <laughs> <laughs> fucking everybody walked out man that's what they were because he's so funny you know and yeah. and there's that one part where he's he's in an alleyway in london and it says something like, you know, pet shop, uh, yeah, cigarettes, whatever. Great. And he just does this riff. Uh, they're going to bird my bath and get me my cigarettes. And, and it's just this poetic r- r- jumble of stuff that you go, that's how that guy's brain works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was and able to look at yeah. a, a, like a, yeah, like a, a window filled with signs and then take words from each sign and do this kind of like weird ramble where he was using, pulling out all these words and, and then making... Yeah. yeah, like it, it's, it's so funny yeah. and so so interesting and cool. Yeah, and at the same time, he's cracking up in the middle of it, and and you think th- there's all this great footage there that's that's never even been seen. That's cool. I have seen Bob Dylan a couple of times, but the last time I remember I saw him was uh, I think at the. Um, in Hollywood, uh, on Hollywood Boulevard, there's a theater there. It was probably, you know, it's like, maybe it was the Pantages. Or Pantages, yeah. Pantages yes. And then I was in the audience, and then I, I did, you were not there. However, almost every adult male that I knew was there. <laughs> <laughs> was, um, was that the one with Merle Haggard? It was with Merle Haggard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, was I, I was there. See, you know, that I didn't see. And so was uh, Declan McManus. Yes. <laughs> Elvis Costello was there. Yes. Because I went to the gents. And I and there's a huge line, and I walked out, and in line with everyone else mm-hmm. is Elvis Costello. Wow, he's not backstage. <laughs> like Bob, can I use your Lou? No, he was there. So yeah, yeah I was there. Um, is that the most famous person that you've been in a men's room with you? I wasn't in the men's room with him. Oh, um, but were you he ahead was, of the was, line. I was, or was well, I was ahead. Mm. I, I'd gone in, and I come out, and you go, oh, there's Elvis Costello. Were people speaking to him? 
do you think? Um, they were, they were, he was probably pretty cool. But after the show, people went up and said hello to him and he was very nice. Yes, yes. I saw Paul Rodriguez there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, and I didn't Alan even know. Alan Havey, uh, Rich um, Scheidner was Tish, there. Tishon Shannon, Shannon was there. I didn't see Tishon. I, I, I was, I was, uh, and Al was there. Al and I were there. And um, yeah, but pretty much every adult male that I knew. And now that I know that you guys were there, I didn't even see you. Yeah. I was, I was near the front, maybe towards the right. And mm-hmm. um, it was a great show. It was the it was the coolest thing is I took the train there mm-hmm. and to walk out of the train station and then the Pantages right across the street and just to see Dylan's name on the marquee as soon as you come out of the train station it was mm-hmm. it was that was a great little moment because it's you know you forget like oh yeah so I'm in, it's not New York I'm in L A right the fact that I was coming out of the subway and then seeing this gigantic marquee of Dylan there where were you coming from. <laughs> What's that? Where I, were you coming from? Where did you take the train from? I live in Los Feliz. So. Oh, so you took the train from, you actually utilized the, of the public transportation all the way from... I use public transportation a lot in LA. That's a really good idea. That's a good idea. I mean, I never, I don't think I ever have. And that's, oh, no, I've taken the bus before. Oh. But I've never taken the train. A train's great. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I always take the train in LA. It just, is it, is it empty? No, no. It depends on what time you go. and uh, But, you know, a lot of times I go or like off-peak times, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. in, you know, after rush hour or, or in the afternoon or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's the best way if you're going to go downtown or into Hollywood for my neighborhood because you don't have to deal with parking. and Right. And, uh, it's much yeah. better. Oh, yeah. You don't have to drive. Or, you know, it's nice. But that, that's, a good, that's a good show to go see. Yeah. But Merle Haggard was great, too. He was great. It was such a good, you know, but I, I was kind of depressed at the time when I went. So when I, it, for me, and I know Dylan, people always complain about singing and all that stuff, but it really is kind of like, he's one of those handful of performers. We're just seeing him walk out is almost like the price of the ticket, you know, oh, like it's totally. it, it really is. It's like, wow. I don't think there's anybody as amazing as him in that field of music mm-hmm. like him. There's yeah. people I love as, as much. Mm-hmm. But he's, you know, pretty amazing. And I've seen about 60 shows mm-hmm. around the, the world. Yeah, you would always go yeah. um, to see him. But, yeah, that show was pretty great. And I remember seeing him in 2000 in, in um, Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. In, was like, it was like seeing him in a high school gym. Mm. And you could get up close and, and see him. And uh, those shows were pretty amazing. And I remember seeing him in Sacramento. And I saw his bus pulling up to the venue. Mm-hmm. So I went and like, you know, stood by the backstage door. It was just me. Mm-hmm. And they waited. They waited about 20 minutes. And they finally came out and they put out this big yellow like police line tape and <laughs> made me move back like three more feet. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I don't know what they thought I was going to do. But uh, and he just walked out and didn't look over or anything. It was mm. just weird. But you just go, you know, well, that's what I expect. But did you, you, um, you showed me some pictures. Didn't you see him at the Circle Star? Did you see him at the Circle Star? No, I didn't see him there. Where's that one? There was, I'm not sure where that even is. That's in San Francisco, this, right? San yeah, it's Carlos? The, yeah, San Carlos, and it's in the round. I saw Frank no. Sinatra there. Wow. I saw Sinatra there. Yeah. Were you at that show, too? He, he, I've seen Sinatra three times, actually. I saw, I saw him a lot. I, I saw Bob Hope there. What? Oh, God. <laughs> wow. Do comedy? Yeah. I saw Bob Hope do stand-up oh, When was there. that? Somewhere in the 80s. <gasps> wow. Yeah, yeah, I used to love going to see those kind of shows when I was in college and stuff. And I had a friend uh, from my college radio station that worked at Magic 61, mm-hmm. which is the AM radio station in San Francisco that would play like, you know, Bing Crosby and those yeah. kind of singers. And so he would always get free tickets to go to these shows like that. And so he'd always like, hey, you want to go see Mickey Rooney? <laughs> 
<laughs> like I saw wow. Mickey Rooney, Danny Thomas, and uh, Donald O'Connor. Oh my goodness! Do a try headline. No, really? at, at uh, the Circle Star Theater. That's I saw a Foster incredible. Brooks. Foster Brooks at the Burlingame Hyatt. I saw wow. Sid Caesar at uh, Palmason Winery. I just I go. I take advantage of this and like I'm gonna go see all these. No, see that's these unbelievable. Guys. That's amazing. That's well, unbelievable. Would they just do like stand up? They would just do like stand up. Bob Hope did like an hour and ten or hour fifteen of stand up. Wow. And he was totally coherent. And at that time, he was. I think at the time he was like eighty in his mid eighties. He was wow. pretty sharp until like ninety, maybe ninety one. Yeah. And then it was really hard to talk. Like you couldn't hear. He couldn't hear. I yeah. Think. But yeah, at that time, he was still pretty sharp. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just one-liners and, you know, it was def- definitely very, very old-fashioned, you know, Bob Hope right. material. But uh, there were moments when I laughed pretty loud, you know, he have a couple one-liners. I can't remember them offhand, but I do remember laughing a few times, like, really yeah. loud and, like, yeah. like, like, that was a great line, you know? Like, yeah. Um, you know, just impeccable timing, of course. Right, right. You know, just knew how to deliver a joke and... Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he was really I mean, he was really pretty influential and in, in sort of like for me, you know, introducing you comics, young comics. He had the young comedian special every year. And that was kind of this thing like I don't know when it started. Maybe it was in the 80s or something. Mm-hmm. But then like I got I got to do it in like me 91 or 92. And it was a very, very, very big deal. It was like on kind of around Christmas. And I remember watching it oddly enough at J.J. Abrams house because I was I was I was like at his house. <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> we're like watching it. I was really embarrassed, and then and then JJ um, Abrams and I tried to uh, play the, the songs on his big grand piano, but um, <laughs> it was very it was very big deal. The 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 yeah you know the uh, mm-hmm. this is yeah, the yeah. day mm-hmm. we tried to play that on piano, yeah. um, but we didn't really finish it. <laughs> but it was great. Did, did you ever uh, did you ever go uh, on that? Did you were you on the Young Comedian Special? Who no, was on that? I never got to do any of those. That's I'd, like that would I, I would love to Bob have met Hope Bob Hope. I would be really cool, right? I would love to have met Bob Hope. If you yeah. know he was horribly racist and everything. <laughs> like, I think he, I think he just couldn't see or anything at that point. Like he couldn't hear or see, so he didn't even know I was there. I didn't even I didn't really talk to him, even though I was kind of with around him a lot. Like mm-hmm. I never really had any sort of connection with him, um, and uh, it was very. Uh, it w- I, I know that Dana did it. Dana Gould did it. I know Caroline Ray did it. I don't even remember who was on my ear. But um, it was a very, very big deal. Like, I remember doing it and being really, really scared. I remember Kathleen Madigan did it. She talked about doing yes, it. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. But that would be really cool. Mm-hmm. It was, a good, it was a good gig. I remember it paid a lot. And I remember that it was like kind of like one of those special credits that you could have that was sort of like, oh, this is a little bit, I don't know, maybe like winning Sarsers or something. You know, it's kind of like... That's that's one for the parents, yeah. For the for the, the relatives, like exactly. that's, that's something like, yeah, they wouldn't care like you, if you got some other t- television show, but if you did a Bob Hope special, yeah, that's going to impress your your did older that show relatives, biz, right? Yeah. yeah, it was really showbiz. That's big time. It was them, really really you know, showbiz. Like, wow, Bob Hope. Yeah. Well, I think uh, Star Search also was really pretty showbiz too and exciting for my family. But I remember I did uh, Star Search and that Ed McMahon took a really long time in the bathroom. Like a really, really long time. Like like maybe 45 minutes or something. (laughs) This is like so production stops so he can go to the can. Well, because I was waiting for the bathroom because I wanted to go after. So I was just waiting. (laughs) What year did you do? There's only one? Yeah, there was only one in oh, that wow. particular area. And yeah, so he yeah, went like in, a... and I was waiting for him to get out. And then um, all I could hear was just like that the, that sound of the water running and the toilet running. And he was just in there forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> what, do you, what do you speculate was going on in there? He I'm was not just sure. Just having trouble. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing, but he, he took a long time. And there was no other place, so I just waited. 
Were you afraid to go in afterwards? Yeah, no. I mean, it was just uh, it was. I was I was dying to go. I had to go in. You afterwards, had to go, right? But it was very. It was. I felt weird. But at that point, it. if you'd have known it was going to be forty five minutes, you could have gone somewhere else. Yeah, I could have just gone across the street or something, or left yeah. the building. But it, it, I didn't think I had to wait that got, long. You don't. I don't have time to go. But, oh, but apparently, you do. Yeah. If Ed McMahon's in there. When I did it, he didn't show up for the rehearsals, you know. Oh, and, really? And then uh, he was in the can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then, you did. St- I didn't know you did Star Search. Yeah, yeah. And then when I, when I, when you know, then like I was worried because I was like, you know, my, my my last name. I thought, oh, you know, I wonder if he's gonna, oh yeah, you know, fuck it up. And, <laughs> but he said it perfectly. It was like I was like, guy's a pro. Yeah, <laughs> it's Ed McMahon. He's a real pro. Did <laughs> yeah. you? What, how long? How far did you get? Oh, I lost. For, I Kevin James beat me. Oh. So I, so I, I had really four to three stars. Oh, that's a hard. Did you do regular? So you did. Re- I had to do international star search. I no. couldn't do regular star search. I had to do international star search and represent Korea. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? Really? Yeah. Because um, they were like, okay, well, uh, we're going to do this one off. So we're going to have you on this one. And I was like, all right. Because I just wanted to do it. So I went up against Jerry Bednob and um, Jim Tavare. From England. Oh, oh wow. I know Jim. And Jim's great. Yeah. I think, I, I believe Jim had won. And um, I I don't know. I brought great great shame upon my country. <laughs> and I, I, don't know, I don't know what happened. But yeah, I wasn't allowed to do the regular uh, one. It wasn't that I wasn't allowed. It's just that they, they made this big deal about like how, well, you can do this instead. But it mm-hmm. was not really to compete. And it was only one, one set and one competition, not uh, an ongoing one. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So there was no way to advance. Because it was just that one, but Jerry Bednov um, uh, represented India, I think, and uh, yeah, Jim uh, represented England. Mm-hmm. But it was very, uh, it was very weird. Do you remember the giant clock? I don't, I don't. I mean, I don't know if it was the same for you, but when I did it, they had this gigantic digital clock. You had two minutes and twenty five seconds to do your set. Oh god! You'd walk on stage and it was like the biggest digital clock you've ever seen in your life, yes. just counting down to zero. Oh, and you see, oh wow, yeah, so scary. But people, was, people, I don't even, you know, if you can even grasp how hard it. It's hard enough to do five minutes of stand up. Yeah. To do what two minutes and twenty five seconds worth? Yeah. And you're competing against somebody, so right. you. It's not like. Oh, I'll go out there and I'll I'll get them. You know, you gotta grab people and beat somebody else. That is uh, that's so scary. I made the mistake of trying to introduce myself. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing. I look back and I'm like, I played it so wrong. I'm like, hey, how you guys doing? You know, I'm like I'm eating so much time. And Kevin James just took the mic literally out of the stand and went, What's the deal with muffins? Like, who starts a set like that? I mean, but he killed. He got the more, guy that he, the guy that got, wins. He got more punchlines in, yeah, and, and, and he played it smarter than me. You know, he knew how to play that game. You know, and so, but it was, but but just watching it from a just a, a you know a spectator, it, it just seems ridiculous to yeah. see anybody do stand up that way. Like, just grab the mic and not even just start going into it. You know, yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. But then you like you think well, th- th- then you realize that that's not supposed to be competitive. That mm-hmm. this is not really a competitive art form. It's not supposed to be. And then, you know, so you did the right thing. <laughs> you did it. You played it better. Yeah. Hi, it, hello, everyone. Is everyone good? But at that time, <laughs> it was like $1,400 a show. Like, if you kept, if you advanced, it would be oh, like really? another 1400 really? bucks. So at yeah. that time in my career, I was like, I was very disappointed. I, I wanted to get you know, at least a couple of rounds in. Right. I thought, like, if I can, if I can win this thing three times, I don't have to go all the way. Like, let me, let me win three or four times. Mm-hmm. I, I that'd think, just be a lot of money to me. You know, I think that's something though about that. That's where you see what comics are. There are comics who are like, I'm gonna win this goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. And then there are some comics who I think the comics I was like, who were like, 
if I can get two or three <laughs> and make a couple of bucks, that'll yeah. be good. I don't need to win this shit. I yeah. just want to make. I want to get two appearances. <laughs> but there are those. It's always that set of it. Yeah. Like I'm going to win this bullshit no matter what. Oh, yeah. Then they have to get on that van of losers back to the hotel after oh, yeah. you oh, they, eliminated. Back to the sportsman's <laughs> oh, yeah. lodge. Yeah, like, it was like me, and then it was like the you know the spokesmodel that lost. Yeah. It's probably you and Justin Timberlake and everybody. That- <laughs> <laughs> Just a big picture of Pete Best on the side of the van. And back. <laughs> it's like, uh. The spokesmodel. <laughs> yeah. That's right. There was a spokesmodel. Mm-hmm. And the act. Remember the act. You'd have a. You'd have a scene. Yes, that's so weird. That's so weird. The acting one. That, and then oh, the, yeah. there was like, yeah, the singer. The people always remember the singer. And then that's sort of like American Idol. So people know what that is mm-hmm. now. So Yeah, I remember there was like a little girl from like Oklahoma and she lost. She was like six and she went up against another girl singing who was like 12, you know? It was like a totally different, it was very unfair. Like the 12 year old mm-hmm. just had just a stronger voice and, and one and the six year old girl just crying backstage. It was just sad. That's like, sad. Like, how, like you're trying to like look at this little girl. Like, how do you, how does she, you know, what's going to her mind, you know? Like, mm-hmm. It's like her whole world was over at six, you know. <laughs> yeah. like. Well, you see them now on those shows because back then it was it was a sort of a a, a, a first time thing of seeing that. Now that's all you see. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All those competitions, and they're also. Do you watch a lot of the singing competitions? I don't. I get too emotionally involved and I get upset, so I can't. I have to shield myself from it. I, like, I can't um, deal with it. Because American Idol, it's just so like this. I mean, they're, they're like a season away from having Biz Marquee as a judge now. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Ray I, Stevens. <laughs> oh my God, Ray Stevens! <laughs> <laughs> you loved him for everything is beautiful and the streak. <laughs> the, uh, the, the I, I I watch the Voice sometimes. The Voice to me is the glory hole. Of singing competitions, because oh. you cannot see the face of the person oh. that is orally <laughs> pleasuring you. Oh that God! The glory it's true. That's so true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. It, it in a certain way. I mean, not not so <laughs> right. literally, no, but right. uh, the other right. glory hole. <laughs> <laughs> But it's weird. I mean, and to me, also like vocal like prowess is really subjective. Also, in the same way that comedy is, you know, that mm-hmm. I love vocalists that don't necessarily have great like pipes, mm-hmm. like people like Marianne Faithful and and Bob Dylan, who are really evocative emotionally. And then you can't you can't like really chart that. You can't really how put attach a value to some a great artist like that. Well, that's the argument, right? It's mm-hmm. more commercial, slick sounding stuff that is yeah. getting looked at now. And real people with with a different sort of style or point of view are getting overlooked. Right, right. And and you think, well, those people that that really do make it would never make it on that kind of show. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they're losing their steam a little bit now, right? I think so. I mean, I think people like are, are get fed up with the, you know that false stuff in art, and they want something that's real and that's real blood and guts. And you know that's that's what's always really important. That's why people people like Kurt Cobain will always be icons because people want that. Sort of like real stuff, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I I do get really emotionally involved with any of those shows because I think these kids want this so bad, and I don't want to see them be crushed by mm-hmm. it. I think because I've been crushed a whole bunch of times, you know, my own kind of vision and and my own need or want and and things that I've wanted, you know, dreamed about in show business have been really disappointing. So every time I see that, I see that like I I used to have that kind of idealism and I don't anymore, and it's mm-hmm. because of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's hard for me to watch. So I what, get real upset. What about your experience as far as being on one of them? 
Um, Big shows like that. Well, like when I was on, when I did Dancing with the Stars, it, it was like so clear to me that at the beginning they were going to um, decide like what the, the story was going to be um, before uh, they even like had any dancing. Like I knew exactly what they were going to do before they even did it by what they were catching and what they were deciding to shoot uh-huh. and what they were saying that we should be doing as opposed to not. And anything that I... Um, was kind of suggesting they would kind of shoot down. And I, I was like, oh, you already have it figured out. Right. You already know what you're going to do. And I'm just going to be like a pawn in this, which is fine because they pay a lot of money. But I, I was like, well, I thought I could do this. And it was real, that was a really big thing for my parents because they wanted me to do so well on it because it's a really big deal in Korea, mm-hmm. you know, that show. And um, my mother was really like um, dismissing the competition when she came, she came in and, and <laughs> you know, I was talking to her about Bristol and my mom's like leans, leans over and she goes, she's fit. and i was like well i don't think so my mom wanted me to just not think about her as a competitive person like don't think about her she she can't beat you she's She's thinking from the technical she's fit this is the thing that all these years in shows and still there's moments where your mom is like it's just bizarre you're in a dance contest and your Mm. mom is like <laughs> like how, how old are we? I know it's weird. She's trying to give me an edge or something. I don't know, but that it was very weird. It was very weird. But you know, it's like it's like really they create um, these dramas that don't exist. I think that happens like a lot on shows like The Celebrity Apprentice or whatever. They just mm-hmm. they create it kind of out of nothing, or they create it before the people even get there or start competing. How many hours were you practicing? I when I did Dancing with the Stars, I was practicing about six six to seven hours a day. The limit is six hours a day, six days a week, and you're not supposed to rehearse more than that. But I think we did do more, and I think other people did more. Wow! And are you doing other exercising outside of that, just just to? Be, um, I mean, I, yeah. I don't even know how the process of that works. Yeah, like you can like a dance training and. I would go. Uh, I would go to Pilates with um, another guy that Rick Fox, who's an athlete there. A lot of people did like supplemental like. Pilates so that they wouldn't break break their necks like you know and that the athletes knew how to prepare with their bodies for this kind of competition by doing other things like Pilates and so I see him there and I was advised to do it so um but I was I was so uh, wrecked physically because I'd never been that active that I, I was really I was just depressed the whole time and then I was doing shows too so I was still on tour so I was so grateful when I was on stage because I didn't have to work out mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That I was like so relieved. I mean, it was a very, it was very, but they pay a lot of money. They pay, um, I guess, for eight, six to eight weeks of work. Um, you get shot out every day. Uh, they paid like close to 125000 That's a huge amount of money mm-hmm. for a few, I mean, pretty much like just a few sad weeks of, of, of difficulty. But, you mm-hmm. know, and then somebody's in your face all the time with a camera. It's kind of weird. That's not, that's not really, but then you kind of go, oh, well, they're not, you, you start to sort of say things and you, you know, they're not going to use it. They'll like not use stuff that where you're just like, you know, cussing people out or doing mm-hmm. anything like that sort of like, I don't know, maybe smoking or whatever. They would, they would just not use it. So that, then you sort of learn how to get around it. Mm-hmm. I think it's and, terrible. And, and, and like it, it, when it comes down to it, it's whoever has the bigger, um, amount of people to to vote in for them right yeah i think so but i don't it even doesn't matter if you're true. a better dancer or not no, but i don't but, even but I, mean, I, I, I don't even mean like they're they got more but it's so manipulated yeah. in, in in those ways Definitely. of like like you, i mean you being up against a palin is sort of weird because right. 
they're not really celebrities either. No. No, but they but won. they're but they're celebrities now because yeah. celebrity doesn't mean the same thing as no. it, it does it to people that know what a celebrity actually is. No, but. and it was, there was like um, they 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 th- I think they had hired me because they thought, oh, what if she gets in a fight, an ideological struggle with Bristol Palin? That's going to be the story, and then that didn't happen because I had no. I had no idea or no need to harass a child because she's basically a child to yeah. me. She yeah. was, you know, 19, 20. I was like not going to be shitty to a 20-year-old kid. You mm-hmm. know? <laughs> like, I'm just not. So that was like kind of, they were dealing with my uh, hesitance to attack her or, you know, say things about her that were negative. I just didn't want to do that just because I don't believe in her politics, but she's still a child. Right. So, you know, that, that seemed really boring to me. And then, so I think once they found that out, they really didn't want me to be on the show anymore you know because i just wasn't going to serve the purpose of they wanted that you know, drama being with that, drama that storyline yeah so that was a very um you know and they directed it all for that because i i had you know a gay partner and i you know i had this sort of agenda about like talking about gay stuff and they they just wanted to put that against bristol and they the, so mm-hmm. there was things that were very calculated that that just didn't work because i wasn't willing to be aggressive in mm-hmm. that way but so. they they picked that up though, right? Yeah, they ran with it. They ran with it. They ran with it. So that that I mean that and that sort of came out more later, you know, um, that I had sort of issues with her and issues with um, the show. But it was not. Um, it was it was it wasn't in time for them to catch capture on camera. So there was not really anything I could do. So that I got voted off. And then David Hasselhoff was so. Um, he was so amazingly strange. Like he really smelled like rubber cement, <laughs> you know, like mucilage that you would like put like, you know, it's got like a nipple on the bottle. Like I was like, why does he smell like that? What makes a man smell like glue? He really smelled like, like glue. And then um, he wanted to do a show called Sex with the Stars, not just dancing. I want sex with the stars. And then he wouldn't go out um, to perform unless he had done like a great amount of push-ups. And um, he was very, very odd. Man. Yeah, he's a fascinating guy. Very fascinating. I always love the idea of being big in one country. You know, like it was in Germany or something like he's that. He's hugely famous in Germany. Yeah. Like uh, it, that always fascinates me to, like, to, to be... Somebody that's like, like you go to another country where you're just totally worshipped. He's like a god. Yeah. He's like a god. Or just like the, the scorpions mm-hmm. in Munich are like gods. They're like living deities. <laughs> scorpions. Even still. Still. Wow. And it's great. Well, they were probably Germany's biggest rock band, I guess, I in the Western world. I, yeah. You know. they're, the, they're Germany's biggest metal band, I think. Yeah. I'm trying to think of anybody else who's that famous that, or that big in, in rock and roll. I was like. Well, du- Dusseldorf can say Kraftwerk. Kraftwerk is from Dusseldorf, mm. so I know that that's really big there. But, but Kraftwerk, they different, were still different kind of music, though. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, different kind of music, but they and and they're they're popular in America, but but not like the Scorpions were. Like Kraftwerk no. were never in like the top five or whatever. Like, no, I'm Scorpions just, were really huge. Yeah, really huge, big metal. That's so funny. That, yeah, Hasselhoff. I mean, like, I'm trying to think of other. Well, we know people like they're friends of ours that are big in Australia and people. Oh, like Arge. Yeah, Arge Barker is like. Yeah, this, I have yet to meet anybody from Australia here in America, and I bring mention Arge's name. They all know who he is. Yeah, yeah, it's of course. Just like, he's just you know, yeah, really popular. He's really amazing, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. In Australia, he's hugely, hugely popular. Mm-hmm. Um, Wasn't Franklin a jive when he came? Oh, I thought he was living there for a while. Oh, that's he moved interesting. Back, but I think he was. I think he was doing really yeah. well there. Or like Rich Hall in England. Yeah, Rich, Rich Hall. Hall is like a god in England. Rich Hall, who's great. I love mm-hmm. Rich Hall. And I, I like to actually go, when I go to England, I'll do um, uh, music with him. 
I'll sing in his band. There. Oh right, yeah, and that's really cool because he loves he loves country music and but they it's such an odd thing because he comes and he does this sort of like country music sort of character. He does sort of like a Grand Ole Opry thing, and then he has all these British musicians who pretend that they're American on stage <laughs> and then they they come off stage and they're actually they, they act like they're from georgia or something and then they come off stage and they're totally from swansea or whatever <laughs> like it's very weird um <laughs> but they uh they they love rich hall there um mm-hmm. there was another guy was it uh i don't know there's all these weird people that are fa- super famous like in and like americans that are super famous in england like that but they're like what why are they there like ruby wax or mm-hmm. i don't know um but arge is a good example arge and arge and amazing jonathan certainly rule australia right yeah yeah i i just i would love that <laughs> it's great i mean it's great it's and really great uk people just come over here to be judges on those shows. <laughs> that was a job for a while. Nasty, you know, right? Um, rude British Simon Cowell type person. <laughs> who's big? Who's who's uh, he, bigger here? Who's British than they are than like when they're in the UK? Um, bigger here? Yeah, um, that's to, British. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, uh, um, Fergie for Craig Ferguson. I think Fr- Craig oh, Ferguson yeah. is bigger here. Yeah, than yeah, he is yeah. there. But that's Scotland's different. No, maybe he's just as big there. I don't know. I, I would think Ferguson's bigger here at this point. Yeah, well, he probably he probably did a lot of stuff there, but it really took off here. Yeah, huge. I think so. I mean, his his um, yeah, his being on Drew Carey and then getting the 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 Late Late Show. Mm-hmm. I remember reading some article about the cranberries and how like when you know when they were just gigantic here and how like they just weren't nearly as big. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's definitely like an American thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's weird. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't happen too often, but when it does happen, I mean, I'm sure they're happy because, like, I mean, it's such a bigger market to break than even their own home market, you know? Maybe downtown Julie Brown <laughs> is bigger here than there, I think. Piers Morgan? Piers Morgan. He's pretty big there. No, he's, he's really pretty big, big all over, yeah. but he's just big to himself, I think. I, I always thought of Piers Morgan was the piercing that some guys get in their dick. <laughs> 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 Who is Morgan? That's so funny. Now, are you doing stand-up? Are you like around doing shows around town? Or are you doing um, stuff like that? Um, I will be doing shows here and there, but um, people can see you. Um, and I can't believe you don't tweet. You're so funny. Uh, Seems like know, that's something that I, you would do. I, believe me, I, I I go back and forth on whether or not I should get on Twitter. I just feel like I waste so much time on the internet and looking yeah. at my phone, and I just do. I want another thing. Yeah. You know, and you know, you perf- you both of you are you perform a lot, so I don't do as much performing. So I don't because of that. I kind of feel like it's writers, comedy writers' yeah. privilege. Like, yeah, oh, you absolutely. Get to, like, you don't have to worry about this kind of stuff as much anymore. You know, yeah. I can just like. But uh, yeah, there are times when I think about it going on mm-hmm. Twitter and, and, and doing all that. I don't know. Do you find yourselves looking at your phones way I don't, too much? I do look that? at my phone way too much, but I also um, don't tweet enough as I, I, I need to. Well, we, we'll, we'll tweet more. You can tweet us at um, Monsters of Talk. We have our own Twitter on this podcast. And uh, you can tweet me at Margaret Cho. You can tweet Jim. At Jimmy Shelter. And uh, you can download our podcast, Monster Talk, on SoundCloud, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Do you do a podcast? I don't. I just, uh, I just guess. I'm the Orson Bean of podcasts. I just kind of show up. <laughs> He's always on these things. It's awesome. Is it? Tony Randall. We're so glad. <laughs> I'm the Tony Randall podcast. I like that. I like, I like it other, too. I like being on other people's podcasts. I like it too. I like yeah. it too. Well, we're so grateful to have you. Thank you to Kevin Kataoka for being on, and uh, we will be back next week. Thank you for listening.